1: Welcome to another episode of Sky Women. I am so excited to share with you guys today my good friend from the internet... (laughs) Dr. Brooke Stubbs. She is a wife, a mom, and board-certified internal medicine physician practicing lifestyle medicine. She has a master's in nutrition from Columbia University, and she has just launched her new practice, Rooted Fem, to educate and support women in their prime to optimize their wellness and become the masters of their health so they can show up fully in every area of their lives. Welcome, Dr. Stubbs. Hi. Hi so happy to be here with you. Yes. I'm thrilled to have you. Okay. So I'm going to share with everyone that we actually became friends on Instagram (laughs) and we have supported each other as we've launched different businesses. And you were so kind to just pick up the phone and say, call me anytime after I reached out to you via Instagram. And you were the first one to send me flowers whenever I opened my practice. So I so appreciate that women supporting women.
2: Yes. And I'm so proud of you. And I think I've reaped more benefits from this friendship than (laughs) I think you did, even though, yeah, I was the first to take the call. I'm so happy for our friendship. Oh, thank you so much. Well, let's get started. Today, we are
1: talking about really your story in medicine, but it really starts before that. I feel like you were sharing with me that in your teens, you were diagnosed with endometriosis. That's right.
2: Yeah. So I was 17 years old, which I had a like a very, I don't know, at the time, just she was just very progressive. She knew a lot about endometriosis. And she looked at me at 17 with really terrible periods that would debilitate me and keep me out of school. And I I was a good student. So there's no reason for me not to be wanting to go to school. I was just like in the fetal position on my bed for a couple of days during my period. I'm like getting emotional thinking about it. But she said, you know, I think you probably have endometriosis. And as a 17 year old hearing, you could, be at risk of not being able to have children. She really advocated for me to get on birth control in order to, I guess, in an essence, save my ovaries and really kind of get me to that phase in life. And I can't (laughs) without getting too emotional. I just I couldn't be more grateful for her and for, you know, her insight into endometriosis because it is so undiagnosed and because it is such a A disease of, you know, that gets pushed aside quite a bit. So, yeah, that's how that started. Yeah. So, I mean, we know
1: endometriosis affects one in 10 women, girls, and transgender individuals around the world, right? And it's seven to 10 years or six to 10 years, somewhere in there between symptoms and diagnosis. That's a long time of suffering.
2: A long time, a long time of suffering and a long time that can be doing damage. I mean, we know that Inflammation caused by endometriosis can, you know, scar any of the organs that it affects. From, like, yes, of course, the reproductive organs, but also it can seed into the colon or the bladder. And of course, it can also get into the ovaries for, you know, with each follicle that opens and really can scar down the ovaries. And that is what, you know, affects your fertility. So the longer it goes on unchecked, the worse ramifications. And like you said, the time from symptoms to diagnosis is just too long. It's just too yeah. long.
1: Well, I love that you had, was it an OB-GYN who advocated for you?
2: Yeah. yeah. And funny enough, and it, this is just kind of serendipitous, her last name was Sloan, Dr. Tracy Sloan. And my daughter, who I conceived through IVF, is Sloan. So, oh, yeah, I love that. Kind of, that wasn't necessarily um, intentional. Back. No, it wasn't. But I remember... I was thinking, oh, I'm going to write a book about infertility. This is such a hard thing to go through. And I, when I was writing it and having my daughter, I realized like it was, that had happened. And I was like, that's just kind of a, a sweet little, you know, magic. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> so
1: tell us a little bit about your infertility journey.
2: So, you know, it was really hard at 17, having that in the back of your mind, you go through so many life changes and, you know, you get into, in. Some relationships who that are serious and some that aren't. And then you never know when to bring that up. You're like, I remember my now husband saying to me, Okay, well, I'm just confused. How come you never have a period? And I was like, Oh, you noticed first of all, which was I thought was, you know, we didn't see each other very often because he was traveling for baseball. And I was like, Well, okay. I think we'd been dating for like, not even a year. And I was like, I guess it's time to have this conversation. Like we're getting pretty serious. And so I was like, well, you know, there's a possibility that I may have trouble with fertility. And he just took it in stride and, you know, didn't, you know, didn't skip a beat. And he, you know, was very supportive, of course. So that was that. And then we ended up getting married and, you know, I was on birth control through from like the age of 17 until I was ready to conceive. And I went to my OBGYN who, you know, I had to switch because I moved to uh, Texas at this point and she didn't really know my history. I had told her, but, you know, she wasn't sure of my history. And so I was like, she was like, oh, just go try. Just like, just get off birth control and go try. And I was just way too scared to that a wasn't going to work. I was going to waste a lot of time or make things worse, but I insisted I was the biggest advocate for my own self. And I said, no, please, I need, I need a referral to a fertility physician. I need to have, you know, the surgical, the laparoscopic surgery to rule it out or to have this diagnosis and know what to do moving forward. And so the day I got into my now good friend, Natalie Crawford's office, she laid it out. She said, you know, I was like, after two weeks, I was having the surgery, I had it ablated. And, you know, we talked about my options and that it was the best case scenario for me. Then at that time, I was 31, about to be 32. And I wanted multiple kids. And, you know, we decided together that IVF was the best course of action for me and went through that. And so I had a, I had a great experience with IVF. I was very, very fortunate. And I know for some people it doesn't go as easily. The shots were really hard, but I got, you know, I got 22 eggs, 14 of them came to the blastocyst stage And then, or no, 14 of them fertilized, 10 of them went to the blastocyst stage. Then we got genetic testing and six of them were viable. And so we did a frozen transfer. I had to grow my endometrial lining like three times to make it, it wasn't even really thick enough. But at that point we were like, okay, I think this is as good as we're going to get. And so we did the first transfer and got my daughter. It was successful. It was like, you know, once you, when you go through all of that to get pregnant, it was very hard to be excited through that pregnancy. Sure. And then, and then I bled, I had a really bad hemorrhage at 20 weeks. And so I remember my OB, who's a friend of mine saying, okay, Brooke, I, you know, I've talked to Iris emergency OB, and we can't even take her until she's 24 weeks. And so I just remember praying like, just get, yeah. just get to 24 weeks. Sure. So it was, took a lot of joy out of pregnancy for me, but then did my second like transfer with my son. We, she got to full term. She was born. She's beautiful. She's great. She's three years old now. And then we didn't choose with her. It was kind of a surprise with her, but then we chose to have a boy, which was, you know, the next healthiest embryo on our list anyway. And, It took, right? Had a lot less, a lot less issues in terms of scares with that pregnancy, but he's now eight months old. So we had two successful transfers and still have four embryos. And I think we're done having children, but I love that process of IVF. I think it's such a miracle and I love the miracle of science and you know, that it's um, a possibility to, to conceive that way because I don't know if we would have had children otherwise. It really is amazing the advances
1: that have happened in infertility in the last 20, 30 years. It's just really amazing.
2: Really, really, really cool. And even from my first to my second transfer, things were so different. I didn't, I actually had to do a whole lot of shots with Sloan, my daughter, but then I did a modified natural cycle with my son and well, it was a lot less traumatic and it was just, it was really, really, really nice.
1: Well, that's awesome. And so did you use Natalie Crawford for both of them? Yeah. I
2: did. Okay. She switched practices. So I just followed her.
1: I just right. absolutely <laughs> okay. Well we in, we can't record a podcast and not give a nod to Dr. Natalie Crawford, who is amazing. I think we know each other because of her. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. 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 Fantastic. Okay. Let's talk about the postpartum
2: period, because you were in the thick of it. Oh god. It's it. rough. It's rough. It is. It's tough. So I actually, my first pregnancy had no issues really at all. I mean, very hormonal, you know, and like, I think we had had a really great couples therapist, which I'm not ashamed of at all. I think anybody who wants to have a really healthy relationship, you know, having a third party is the best thing you can do for yourself. But she let my husband know that like during that period, when I have a baby, it's going to be the most vulnerable time of my life. And that I'm going to worry about that baby more than anything in the world. And so we had a lot of great communication and stuff. And so um, I was hormonal, but he just accepted it. And so I had good support and I was blissful because I had my baby girl. And I kind of expected that with my second, that I would be okay. And then I wouldn't have a whole lot of postpartum issues, which unfortunately was not the case. I had... I, I had a little bit of anxiety, you know, I was in a pandemic, obviously pregnant, I had quit my jobs, so there's a lot of change. I don't know, I think all of that played a part. So and then I was having SVT, which I hadn't had since probably college. They define that for our listeners. Oh, sorry, uh, supraventricular tachycardia. And it's a pretty benign condition. And it comes, it comes and goes paroxysmally. <laughs> and I used to get it a lot when I was dehydrated, like I was a cheerleader in high school and I'd get it while I was cheerleading and stuff like that. And I had gotten it one time when I was working out really hard before our wedding, but really infrequently. And then when I got pregnant the second time, I was getting it a lot and it wasn't breaking. I could usually just like hold my breath or valsalva, and it would go away. But I was taking like 80 milligrams of propranolol, beta blocker, and it still wasn't going away. And I was like dunking my head in ice water and (laughs) the whole nine yards for like an hour. My heart rate was near the 200. So I was impregnant. And so it was frightening, right? sure you know you know i'm talking to my doctor and i'm texting with my cardiologist and they're like you're gonna it's gonna be okay like it's not gonna hurt the baby but your heart rate's at 200 beats per minute you're you feel like you're in a panic yeah 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 so so that was probably a lot of stress that you know led to more stress and then you know you never know i didn't you know how to handle a newborn in a pandemic and so you know, whether or not to have people come and visit and whether or not, you know, you don't want to offend anybody, but then your one focus is to protect this new life. And so that was really stressful. And then I started having panic attacks, really bad panic attacks. I would be up at like two in the morning and I would just, I mean, my mom was helped me in the first three weeks with my baby and I'd had to go wake her up. I'm like, mom, I need you to just sit with me because I can't I can't do this. I don't, I don't know what's going on, but I I feel like I can't breathe. I, something terrible is going to happen. And I couldn't mentally, you know, mentally, I always thought it was very strong and, you know, it was, it was hormonal. I could not mentally like slow my, my mind down. I, it was, it was just, it was too much for me to handle. And luckily a few weeks, I think three, four, maybe five weeks. After my son was born, they went away and I got help from a psychiatrist, which if anybody's in a place where they have to, you know, if they're struggling with depression or anxiety or any kind of postpartum mental issues, I really am such a huge advocate for getting professional help because I needed, I needed something, I needed a medication to be able to like just stop those panic attacks when they started and of course I'm not on any medicine now but it really was like a true lifesaver I don't you know when when you are so mentally strong one of your biggest fears is that you won't be able to control your thoughts or your mental status and it was frightening it was actually just incredibly frightening Yeah,
1: well, I love that you bring that up because we really need to normalize this conversation, right? And May is a mental health month. And so bringing awareness to that is really key. Like we have to recognize that and understand that it's okay to get help.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And because we don't talk about it enough and it's not normalized, I feel like people suffer in silence and it makes the problem so much worse. So anything I can do to advocate for it, to you know put it out there so that it makes it less stigmatized for somebody to go get the help that they just really need. Yeah, I'm all about that.
1: Yeah. Well, so let's talk about your postpartum adventure you just went through. You decided to get some augmentation done.
2: Oh yeah. <laughs> so I breastfed both of my babies, my first longer than my second, but we all have a little bit of vanity and you want to you want to look your best and so I decided that I knew for a while. I knew after my first child that I wanted to get a breast lift because, you know, breastfeeding just did, you know, wreak havoc on the girls. And so, I found a wonderful surgeon here in Austin, Dr. Ashley Gordon. I'll give her all the props because she is so good, and if you're looking for a surgeon, she's like it was like all of the surgeons I kind of was considering, I would follow their before and after pictures and Ashley's were the best. I was just like, you know, <laughs> like, okay, I want that. Like she can do it. Like, that's what I want to look like. And she did, she did a great job. So I got a, a lift and like a little augmentation just to put back what I had lost. Some volume that you'd <laughs> I did. I lost quite a bit of volume. I did. They were, you know, more more like pancakes than anything Briar. So, isn't that something? I mean, you're pregnant and
1: like immediately your breast increase in size. They're nice and perky. <laughs> After you fed these babies, we are like, oh, "We're so oh, tired." They're
2: all gone. Yeah. I mean, oh, I went from like a, a cute perky B cup to like a double D to like well, I, I don't even know what you called what I had afterwards. i like, those aren't even... Did it fit into bras. your B-bra? <laughs> it would honestly, though, this is the sad part. I would put, you know, I'd put on my bra and like, if I bent over, it would fall out of my bra because it was just so, it was just skin. it, yeah. Oh my God. So, I mean, that was, that was like, when it fell out of my bra, there was like, I have no other option other than a plastic surgeon. So I did that and it's been great. I'm like 10 days out. I feel great. And they look great. and I'm so happy. Awesome. Well, thank you for
1: normalizing that as well.
2: (laughs) Keeping it real. It is what it is.
1: Okay. So let's talk about your transition in medicine because you were a hospitalist as an internal medicine physician and you decided I'm going to, shift focus. I'm going to quit my job and figure this out. You yeah. have always been a little bit of an entrepreneur though.
2: Cause you want yeah. to tell I us. About it. Yeah. So, okay. So when well, you want me to start with that business or with the hospital thing, <laughs> well, I Take did. It. I, I opened a franchise of a good friend of mine's infrared sauna studio, which I love and I researched and I truly, truly believe in and it's fabulous and people love it. It's very spa-like, it's very relaxing. And there is research behind the benefits of it and the science behind it is, is really, really quite fascinating. So I, I had already started that business, which when you do something like that and you really put yourself out there to like, I am of medicine mind, I am not a business person, but I'm gonna open a business myself you have to figure things out as you go, right? So then you're like one foot in front of the other. And with each step, you just figure out like what the next step is. And you make a few mistakes, but like you You just have to get in motion. Yeah, you just have to keep going forward. I mean, you know, it's just, that's how it is. You just got to keep making the next step. And so that, even though that was like, just like my first gig of entrepreneurialism, it really, it gave me a lot of confidence moving forward. Like I could do something on my own someday. Like I had the, I had the back, uh, the backup of the franchise for that, you know? So I had the franchisor, my friend, who I could lean on to ask questions. It really thrusted me into like, I can do this kind of confidence feeling. And so I had, yes, I was working as a full-time hospitalist And I was assigned to the bone marrow transplant service, which was a huge honor and really, really had wonderful partners and colleagues. And the more work, the more busy, the harder the patients got, the more they really supported me. And I, you know, I was getting burnt out and they knew it. I would, I would communicate that like these things aren't working for me. You know, I had my daughter through that period. And, you know, I had some issues with my pregnancy because of how, you know, how stressful work was and they accommodated that. And then, you know, when I was getting burnout with work, they, you know, took away some of my calls and then they partnered me with a great nurse practitioner that I love. And she did all of my notes that I signed off on. And so that took away a lot of busy work. So I could like focus on patients or get home in time or, you know, not have just like, it was, you know, it was like mentally, physically, emotionally taxing. And I would get home every day of those, you know, we seven days on seven days off every day. I'd be a zombie. I was irritable. You know, it just, I wasn't practicing medicine the way I wanted to practice medicine. We were so busy. I was so burnt out. I wasn't my happy-go-lucky self, which like I was sometimes, but I couldn't be all the time because it was just so hard. It's just such hard work. So these are 12-hour shifts, seven days a week or? It depends. Sometimes longer. Yeah, it just depends until the work's done. That's when you go home. And, you know, like on average, we'd have about 21 very sick patients on our service. But like when I first started before I was just assigned to the bone marrow transplant service, I mean, our, our group was handling the whole hospital and we'd have sometimes like 38 patients to see in a day and some of them are sick in the ICU. I mean, it was insane just the amount of work there was to do. So high burnout rate. And then being on the bone marrow transplant service was very traumatic and I'm very much Empath, and I I feel that very deeply. Whenever I lose a patient or if they're not doing well, and so we had before I decided. You know, my husband was like, "Are you happy? You don't have to do this job. Like you, you know, like you can quit or whatever." And I didn't want to quit. I loved it. You know, I I was like learning all the time, and it was you know it was exciting. And you know, when you you are literally saving lives, and you don't that purpose, you don't want to leave. And so. We had a really bad week. We lost four patients in a span of seven days. And, you know, you leave those seven days, you hope to recover, and you come back, and we're all kind of looking at each other like, is anybody else just like feel like they've been like hit by like a dump truck? It was really, really hard. And then, I just remember praying like, God, if this is the job that I'm supposed to be doing, if this is the work I really need to be, you know, focused on, please remind me why I love it. And we just had another really bad week. We probably lost another couple patients that week. And I was like, okay, all right, I'm going to walk away. And it was really sad because I loved all the staff and I loved all my partners and all my colleagues and all my patients, but I was pregnant and serendipitously, like I avoided a pandemic, you know, with a, you know, a pregnancy. I left in February before COVID really like wreaked havoc in the hospital system in the U.S. And so, yeah, I left and then it wasn't right away that I started Rooted Femme, but Rooted Femme was it was in the brain. It was in, it was turning. Yeah.
1: Um, so this is something that's been growing because you see this role as women mm-hmm. in the family and in communities. Mm-hmm. So talk to us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. So the whole idea was Natalie actually was the first person I talked to about quitting because she had quit her job and she's a big advocate for, you know, like doing what's good for you and moving on when it's time to move on. And so when I was talking to her about it, I said, you know, what I really want is to be able to create a kind of annual for women, because there's such a gap in the healthcare system when you leave your pediatrician, when you're well till like, and of course you see your reproductive Doctors and you get your pap smears or whatever, but they can't do everything and they're busy and you see them for 15 minutes once a year. We're not being screened, we don't know what to do to keep up with our health. Like the gap is between being well in the pediatrician and then falling ill and ending up back in the healthcare system because you have a chronic disease. And so, I remember when I was 30 stressed out in medical school and or in residency and going to a, like you know a supervisor physician who I really trusted and saying like I'm here just because I want to know how to be healthy. And she's like, well you look healthy like I don't I don't have anything to do for you. And I really like realized at that moment and like that's it. There's no doctor who knows how to keep us well. And in medical school we learn a lot of these chronic diseases the first line of therapy is lifestyle intervention. Right. So right. we just never learned how to teach patients to take those lifestyle interventions and to put them into practice. And so then um, I was introduced to lifestyle medicine and then, you know, just through reading and you you learn about like these blue zones of the world where they have like the longest like lifespan and they're the healthiest population and you learn what they do and their activities and their their nutrition and their diet and their relationships and, and the science behind lifestyle medicine is so legitimate about, you know, these are actionable things that we can do in the prime years of our lives in order to maintain our health so that we can live longer and that we can have energy and we can, you know, really just take advantage and live a full life that's healthy and reduce the risk of chronic disease, Right. And so when I decided at first that women needed this in their lives, Rooted Femme was gonna be an annual conference or a retreat for a weekend where you come, you get all the tools, we have great speakers, maybe we draw labs, we talk about your lab, what it means for you if you need to be seen a position and then COVID hit. And so we're like, okay, well, conference retreat isn't really gonna work. So then I took Rooted Femme as my baby. And I made it into a telehealth private concierge practice with membership based. And I see women and they pay just a monthly fee and they have total access to me. Um, Most of my patients I see twice a month. So every couple of weeks, and we talk about everything from like their stress level to their nutrition, to what their cholesterol looks like, to what their chronic diseases are. And we hit on all of those things. And it's just a new way of practicing medicine, because I really think more people should have a doctor that can spend the time with them. You know, I can, I spend up to an hour with my patients, which is just unheard of. It makes it impossible for me to take insurance though, of course. So it's a cash based practice and, but it's really the way I always wanted to practice medicine
1: and I love it. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. I love being able to give the time and space that patients really need to feel heard and to have their issues addressed where they feel like they're more than a diagnosis.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because then you end up just throwing medicine at them and one medicine leads to another medicine and then all of a sudden another complication. And yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. And we've never addressed the root cause. Right. Well, I think your nutrition background certainly helps with that. For sure. Absolutely. And, you know, it's always been a huge interest in my nutrition. And uh, the more I read, the more interested I am. But, you know, it comes down to the very basic that, you know, the more plants that you have in your diet, and the more whole foods that you have, you know, like whole grains and legumes and beans and nuts, and, you know, just plant foods will increase your health. And not to say that we need everybody to be 100% vegan. I personally try. I still like, you know, have my vices. But I think that everybody could do a little bit better. Unfortunately, just how we've been taught to eat, you know, is that we need meat to be the main portion of our meals. And it's just not true. It's just, right. it's an unfortunate lie we've all been told for so long. and. I feel Maybe like this is an area
1: that we could talk on for hours because
2: I mean, oh God, yeah.
1: want to do better. They really do want to do better. And they sincerely yeah. don't know how to eat better for their bodies.
2: Well, and, they, and the, here's the sad part is they think that they are doing like people who really focus on health and are health centric. They think that they're doing the best for their health. When in reality, what they've been taught and what they know to be healthy may not necessarily be the healthiest options for them, and then we end up with all this very high saturated fat in our diet, leading to cholesterol and atherosclerotic disease. And we know cardiac death is the highest cause of death in the United States, both men and women. So, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I see a lot of patients who have high cholesterol, and they're like young, young people.
1: Yes, I've seen that as well. It's sad. Well, I love this movement that you're really creating. <laughs> I love it. So, currently, you're doing telehealth. Tell
2: everybody how they can find you. You can find me on Instagram. Let's start there at Brookie Stubbs MD, B R O O K I E, Stubbs MD. And then I also have a website, brookstubbsmd.com. But if you want to set up an appointment with me, go to rootedfem.com. It's R O O T. E-D-F-E-M-N-E.com and click on set up an appointment. And then you could just request an appointment there. And once I confirm it, I'll send over some patient intake forms and stuff like that. But yeah, that's how you find
1: me. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing with us today. I think it's always fun to really get to know your healthcare provider and understand that as a woman, like we are. <laughs> we're going through the thick of it as well, right? Yeah. And then really understanding how we can optimize our health. I think this is really awesome for so many women cuz so many of us, me included, have seen my OB solely for the last 10 to 15 years. <laughs> you know, have not seen a primary care provider. So, it's really important that we really look at that preventative piece of medicine especially as we all age.
2: Yeah. And we want to age gracefully, slowly, yes, and
1: gracefully. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I'm with you. Well,
2: thank you for having me. Absolutely, and I thank like you I for always talk being. with you forever. <laughs> same, same. I was done already.
1: Thank you for always being a supporter. Like it's amazing. I just really appreciate your friendship.
2: Yeah, same to you. you. All right, Sky Community. Thank
0: you for listening to another episode.